pastor and evangelist, should be supported. There are some people who literally think that the, the poorer they can keep their pastor, the more spiritual he is. Now, you know this constantly, and I didn't look them all up, but there's verse after verse after verse constantly warning leaders, Christian leaders, to be careful of not uh, craving or coveting money. Well, if they don't have money, how can they covet it? I mean, why would they want to covet something that they don't have? You see, many times you can get a lot of money and you begin to want more and more and more and keep hanging on to it. And Paul constantly warned them not to let that happen. But it wasn't the case that they were going to be starved to death. I've known of people who have said they just loved one pastor and his wife because they had never known of anyone who could get, to get along on so little in their whole life. And that was their attitude. Look with me at 1 Timothy, the 5th chapter. 1 Timothy, fifth, the 5th chapter, and verse 17. Let the elders or bishops or overseers that rule well, be counted worthy of what? Double honor. And that word in the Greek is honorarium. Honorarium. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. When a person is in the ministry, called the ministry, their ministry is supported, but they must never allow that to support, to control them. They must be controlled by the Spirit of God. They must do what God tells them to do. And uh, they must not be money lovers. In fact, Jesus said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And they must not be stingy. Now, many pastors don't get a whole lot, but most pastors, you'll find out that they'll return a lot of what they get back into the Lord's work. Why? Because they've learned the principle of sowing and reaping. But if people try to squeeze them down to where they can't do that, then God will have to supply the source resources from other areas if, if they're called of God and God is their source. But 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, is a powerful verse for, those, for any Christian. Power, uh, 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Now, there's another place in there where it says, not only enough for yourself, but plenty to give to others' needs. God does not want only to give to us what our needs require. He wants to be able to give to us enough to give to other people's needs. Now, he said here that that's going to be judged and measured by, by the measure with which we give. You give and it shall be given unto you. As you give to others, God challenges them and they give to others and they give to others and they give to others. And God's economy is just continuously circulating that way. When somebody is a, is a taker and becomes stingy and all the money comes in, they become a reservoir instead of a conduit, God has to cut them off. But he said, when you and I flow in that, in that uh, economy of God, that he is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. That's why if a man is called of God, no one can restrict him. 
God will raise up someone else to support him. And down through the years of my ministry, it's been the most interesting thing how it just looks like there's a wall ahead of us. And I say, Lord, I thank you there's a miracle coming. And someone will walk into my life that I did not expect at all. And while they're in my life, they'll say, God just spoke to me and said I'm supposed to do thus and such. And they walk out of my life and I never see them again. And they make provisions in ways that I never even thought of could possibly be made. Now why? That's so that the church, that a body of people cannot control one who's called of God, the pastor. They can only support that ministry. And you must believe in that ministry or you shouldn't support it. Not greedy of filthy lucre. We're going to get into this more and more later on about the attitude of the pastor as far as finances are concerned. We realize that he's just a steward of God. And until you and I understand what a steward is, we can never come into freedom in our finances. The next word is patient. Another translation is gentle. It means a person of mild and kind demeanor. I've known some pastors who could be extremely harsh and sharp and demanding. I've seen pastors who have beaten sheep. I know of one man that attended college when I attended college, a very brilliant man. In fact, he used to help me with my theology classes and teach me things that I could not comprehend as a new Christian. He used to work with me patiently. But he could not keep a congregation, and that's because they said that when he'd get in the pulpit, the poor sheep would just walk out with lashes all over their back. He would just beat them to death, just give them a whipping. And he would go from church to church, and he came out of the church saying, I just don't know why I cannot make a church grow. But he would just be so harsh with the people. God's Word says that if we're to be a pastor or be in leadership, we have to be gentle and patient with people. You know, there are a lot of times it would be easy to say to someone, why don't you shut up and straighten up? But you see, that's not my prerogative. That's not my position. I have no right to say that. All I have a right to say is this is what the Word says, and this is the way the Word of God says you should do it. Now do what you will. See the difference? Because a person is in leadership does not mean that they're the Lord and Master. It means that they're the servant of all. And uh, they really believe, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We don't have to fight. We don't have to resist. Just give in to the Lord. Then again, he gets right back in the same area again, not a brawler. The Greek actually says not disposed to fighting. His tendency is not to fight. Uh, not contentious. Not apt to take a quarrel. And here again, rather, his attitude is one of gentleness as a pastor. I want to tell you something. I know some pastors that literally go looking for trouble. They've called me and said, I looked in the paper and such and such is going to be happening here. Let's go demonstrate. I said, why would you want to go demonstrate? They need to know what I believe. And I said, you know, I won't run from a fight, but I won't go looking for one either. If God wants me to be involved, he'll open the door and show me that I'm supposed to get involved in that situation. So we're not, a, not to be a brawler when we're in leadership. If you know of a pastor that's out there constantly fighting everything that comes along, uh, be very careful. Because they're going to sooner or later get, not, if they don't get in trouble, they're going to get some of their people into trouble. Then the next one is what? Not covetous. Now again... Not greedy of filthy lucre. We come right back to covetousness. Not loving silver. But here, covetousness, lover of silver, lover of money is what it means in the Greek. And the reason for that is uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. 
Show me a pastor who concentrates on finances, concentrates on how to raise money. And let me tell you something, that's where our TV, TV evangelists have created a lot of problems for many pastors today. They're constantly out there reaching for the buck. And they found some of them that, that set up fake mission things over in the field where they take a picture of a house and take a picture of a bunch of little kids standing out in the street and say, these are our orphans, and send all this money, and we're going to be supporting those ministries, and found out they weren't supporting them. One, what's the word I want to use? One uh, phony gimmick after another trying to get it taken care of. Uh, we're building a house in uh, a church in Russia or over in the Eastern uh, European uh, Ukraine, and uh, we need all the money, and hundreds of thousands of dollars come in for it, and uh, maybe uh, $40,000 was given to it, or $10,000 was given to it. Incredible. But you see, they had that machine moving. Now, this big machine that's moved, they have to keep greasy oiling that, that machine, getting more money and more money to make the machine bigger and better, and so we think of more gimmicks to do it. God says that's not His way. If you have a love for money and are covetous, it'll re, it will uh, destroy any other, uh, or annul, I should say, any other qualifications that you may have. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And money and possessions can be possessed by you, but you must not be possessed by them. We must hold them with our hands open and say, Lord, I'm only holding them as your steward. What would you have me to do with them? Now, let me tell you something. There are some men that God has wonderfully blessed in the ministry in financial ways. But the minute they start saying, this is mine, and I will do with it what I want to do, then they're in trouble. They're violating the very principle we're talking about here. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. And by the way, Titus, the first chapter is interesting to look at, when it talks about uh, it's uh, required of a steward that he be found faithful. And by the way, any, anyone who is called into a ministry or a work for Jesus Christ is a steward. Any born-again Christian is a steward with the talents and gifts that God has given him. But it says here in Titus 1.7, Titus 1.7, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, the very same things he's talking about here again. A bishop must be blameless and be as the steward of God. A moral reputation and a steward with the things that God's put in his life. Then the next one. One that ruleth well his own house. That word ruleth is superintendent. In other words, one who has authority, a superintendent, one who oversees his own house. It suggests to rule or to be the head of, according to the Greek scholars. It, the word ruleth there means to rule or to be the head of. Now, when one is in called of God to rule, he's to rule, first of all, I like what one of them said. It's gentleness clothed with firmness and firmness clothed with gentleness. Gentleness clothed with firmness and firmness clothed with gentleness. Not severe, not stern. And any time you are in a place of leadership or responsibility, the first thing you must realize is not that you're to take authority, but that you are authority. If God's put you in authority. And if you're an authority, you don't need to scream, you don't need to rave, you don't need to rant, you don't need to threaten, you don't need to intimidate. You simply speak what you know is right, and then the rest lies with the recipient. All submission is voluntary. If you're in leadership, 
The Lord wants you to be sober and serious-minded, not some screaming maniac. You will do what I tell you to do, so help me, you will. But rather you say what you mean and you mean what you say and you don't move. I think one of the greatest problems that many people in, in authority have is they say what they mean and mean what they say, but they don't follow through. How many times have you had parents, heard parents say, I want you to sit right there, stay right there, stay, stay right there, and walk away, and you watch within one minute or 30 seconds, the kid is up and going again. You come, come back, oh, I want you to sit right there now, don't get up, stay right there. You watch, you don't get, they don't get four steps away, and they're gone again. And it happens over and over and over and over again. That child is already learning that they've got you whipped. What? You don't mean what you say. You may think you mean what you say, but you don't follow through. The minute you say, do this, and they don't do it, then you must deal with what? Disobedience. How do you deal with disobedience? Now, I told you, don't do that again. I told you, you know what's going to happen if you do that again. And you do it again. So help me if you do it. Don't you ever do that again. And you do it again. What are they doing? I don't believe you. I really don't believe you. You don't really have authority. Why? Because you say things and you don't mean it. If I say sit right there, if that seat isn't, doesn't stay warm, then theirs will. Hello? No, right there. And I didn't say there. I said, have you ever watched a child and you tell them to sit right there? Right there, sit right there. No, no, right here. You know what they're doing? You don't mean it. You really don't mean it. If we talk about being in leadership, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. If you said sit right there, they don't move in one inch in either direction. You mean right there. Now, if you say you can sit anywhere here on the bench, I've literally seen from time to time children being taken, sit right here, put it down once, all the way back, back and forth. They're having a ball. They didn't get corrected. They just found a new area of relief. Now, that, that, all that's saying is, please understand, all that's saying is you don't mean what you say. And you don't have to scream at all. Once they know you mean what you say, and you say what you mean, and you follow through every time, it's no longer a problem. Now, let me tell you something. You think that's minor detail? In the church, when I make a rule and say, this is what I believe the church should do, if I break it and I don't mean it, then I'm in trouble too. Let me tell you, I get caught. You said... Well, you know, no, you said. <laughs> you have to be very, very careful. Quit saying amen. Now, let's get on. <clears throat> Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, the first thing I want you to know, when he's talking about leadership, he didn't say having her children. He says having his children in all subjection. He's talking about a pastor, evangelist, apostle, pastor, evangelist, um, prophet, teacher, one who's in an office ministry. Listen to me. If you're coming into, want to come into spiritual leadership, realize, Dad, you are responsible for your children. Not Mom. 
You delegate responsibilities to mom, but you're ultimately responsible. When God talks about your children, he's going to talk to you about your children. He's going to ask you, where are your children? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? What did, did I tell you you're supposed to do with your children? But my wife won't let me. You are authority. Just simply say it. And if she doesn't, then leave her with God. Turn her over to God. Now, you know what the problem is today? There's no fear of God in most people's hearts. But if a man will walk with God in obedience to his word, and the wife will not obey him, turn her over to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I love her, and I, I just yield her to you completely. You deal with her. And I want to tell you something. I've been in a hospital down through the years where that's had to be, that's happened. The only thing is, I haven't seen much of it lately. I don't know if it's because the men are not really serious about walking right with God so that God does hear their prayer suddenly. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know this much. God's wheels grind slowly, but they grind finely. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. Another one says, showing, children showing respect. Another living Bible says, children who obey quickly and quietly. He said, if that's not true, then you're incompetent as far as the office of a bishop, elder, pastor, teacher is concerned. Uh, you know I could slobber your bib full on this one. I could tell you all kinds of things about this. That God holds us responsible to seeing to it that our children know that we mean what we say, we say what we mean, and we follow through. Why? Because we want them to learn how to do the same thing when their children grow up. If you don't teach them biblical principles very clearly so that they will follow, and by the way, they follow by precept as well as concept. They watch what you do as much as what you say. And when you miss it, you've got to go to them and say, I missed it. Will you please forgive me? I really missed it here. But that does not delete my authority. I still have an authority, but I still am the authority as far as God is concerned. And I've asked him for forgiveness. I've asked you for forgiveness. Now let's get back to this, what we're doing. And you deal with your children to where it's the principle is established in their heart so that when they grow up, they have children, they won't have to worry about knowing whether when they tell their children to sit here, it means there and here and there and back and forth and all over the place. If you tell your children you're not supposed to be up here on the platform, you tell them once, why do you have to tell them the third, fourth, fifth? Oh, they forget. No, 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 no. Let me assure you, they don't forget. They'll look at you like dumb. They know exactly why you come to them again. They just don't believe you mean it. At home. I've actually had people say, here, let me take all that stuff and put it up here. Oh, here, let's just, oh, no, God love their heart. I said, no, 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 leave it there. Well, yes, but I don't want to say, no, leave it there. Why? I'll deal with it. I'll agree. There's a lot of parents where they won't agree. They won't leave it down because the parents are saying, now, honey, don't touch that, and they'll walk away, and the kids will go, and they've got it. But if at home you say that, no, you don't touch that, how many parents do you know put locks on their cabinet doors? Why? Well, I don't want my kids in the cabinet. Tell them not to get in the cabinet. Well, yeah, but they will. What? They will anyway. What are you talking about? Your authority. Don't get in that cabinet, honey. Now, if you get in the cabinet, Daddy will have to deal with you. And they start to reach for their own. What is that? What are they doing? They're testing you. You really mean it. In fact, they go. You know what I mean, huh? What did I say? No. No. 
<laughs> and they'll do it and do it and do it and do it. And somebody says, oh, the HRS. You know there's a greater fear of the HRS than there is God today. If you'll do it when they're way down here, you don't have to scream at them when they're way up here. Way down here. If I say no, I mean no every single time. We never put a lock on our cabinet. Why? Just said, no, you don't get in there. That didn't, I, I, I punished my children betimes when they were little to teach them these things. Some people say, are you telling your children perfect? Good night. No, they weren't perfect. But I got them young enough so that they started listening to me when they got a little older. And I said, no, they knew I meant no. If I went like this, that was it. Why? You're not going to teach them when they get up here. Train up a little tiny child. And when he's getting older, he'll not depart from what you've taught him down there. Now, it's important. <laughs> it's required for someone that's going to be a bishop. And there's time when pastors have to, or husbands have to go home and fathers and say, children, we missed it. And here's where we missed it. But by the grace of God, before you get out of this house, I want you to understand biblical principles. By the grace of God, I want you to work with me now. And when I say something from now on, I mean it. And there will be consequences. Why? So that when you get in your home, you'll understand the responsibility of a father. You'll understand that when you say no, you'll mean no. Let me assure you, let me just assure you, if you don't do it, you'll be heartbroken with the next generation. It will happen. Now, he brings a conclusion as to why he said this. One that ruleth well his own house, having his own children in subjection with all gravity. Why all this is important? For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Or the ecclesia? Or the called out one? Hmm, what a comparison. Are you telling me that a father, who is the authority in the home, that authority relationship carries over into the church somehow? Well, if he doesn't know how to do it at home, he sure can't do what he's supposed to do in the church. Why? You want to write something down Let me that, that might be of help to you in the days ahead. God never gives responsibility without authority. God never gives responsibility without authority. Read all the way through the Bible. Every man he called, he not only gave him responsibility, he gave him authority. It's interesting how Paul compared himself or related himself to the church. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 1 Corinthians, chapter 4. And verse 15. <clears throat> verse 14, 15. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. I'm your father, you're my son. Well, why would he use that kind of a relationship? That kind of an illustration. I have a spiritual authority with you. I'm your father, you're my son. Now let's go to the next part, over in Galatians, the fourth chapter. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now he's the mother. I travail in birth. I mean, I've got, I've got birth cramps. I, until I know that you're going to be all right, I, I just am, it's like I'm in birth pains. 
I'm your father. I'm your mother. Why? Because if you can't run the house with authority like you ought to, you can't run the church because you're going to have a father and a mother relationship to your children. These, every young person in this church is just like my own child. When I work with these young people, I love them like I'd love my own child. I feel that I'm trying to pour something that's in me into them so that in the days ahead they'll go out and they'll be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way that they ought to do it before the Lord. It's not a case of, well, preacher, that's you're hired to be good, and that's what you're doing while you're doing what you're doing. Paul said, I'm a father and I'm a mother. You see, being a good father in a home qualifies you for the other position. The one qualifies you for the other. Then the next one he says, not a novice, and I'll, I'll quit after this one, not a novice. In other words, not a new convert, not a newly planted person. Whenever God calls someone into any type of work, there has to be a time of period of development, and it must precede a period of manifestation. A period of development must precede a period of manifestation. When Christ called Moses, he first of all spent 40 years on the back side of the desert to get him ready to bring him into the land of Egypt. He had to learn all the things he did, all the things that gave him self-confidence in Egypt. He had to learn leading a bunch of dumb sheep around for 40 years. Joshua was called of God, but he had to follow Moses for many, many years. God called Elisha to follow Elijah for very many years. I could go on and on and on how God called Paul and had Timothy follow him. But even when he called Paul, he called Paul out into the desert for three years and took him to the Holy Ghost Bible School for three years and taught him everything he was supposed to know about the gospel. And then when Paul came in later and met with the apostles, he said, they added nothing to me. They added nothing to me. Everything I needed to know, I'd already received from the Holy Spirit in the desert. There's always got to be a time of development. God called me in the ministry. First of all, there were five years of training and, and experience while I was in Bible college. I went out of St. Paul Bible College into a, uh, an assistant pastor, minister, music, and youth directorship in a large church where I got experience like you would not believe without having to take all the responsibility for it. I baptized some 300 people in two and a half years. Plus, I had I don't know how many weddings and how many funerals, and I had to call 40 calls a week, plus all the music work I had to do. All that was under the tutelage of another pastor. And then I went into evangelism. And while I was in evangelism, I had an opportunity to travel with Dr. E.J. Daniels in evangelism and find out what it was like holding citywide and countywide crusades, having 50, 60, 70 churches in a crusade. And uh, then went out and did that myself. And then later on, I worked in another church where I was assistant pastor and minister of music under a pastor who had been there for 30 years. And I learned from these men. There was a time of development. I learned how they responded to situations. And I would ask them questions and learn how to respond the way God would have me to respond. Now, when he's talking about these things here, he's not speaking of physical age, by the way. He's talking about spiritual maturity. I've known some young men who have developed and grown and matured spiritually way beyond their years because they had a hunger for the things of God. My son was one of them. I believe Jeffrey really matured way beyond his years as far as spiritual knowledge was concerned and his love for the Lord was concerned. And Paul the Apostle said the same thing concerning Timothy. In, in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He's not talking about age here. He's talking about spiritually 
maturing in the things of the Spirit. When I first went out into the ministry in that first church in Englewood, Colorado, here I was, uh, 23 years of age, no children, no family experience whatsoever, and I was the Sunday school teacher of the newly married couples class, and uh, some of those newly married couples people were 50 years of age. They had just gotten married. And we probably had 120 to 140 people in that one Sunday school class, and they would come and ask me for counsel. Married couples came to me and asked me for counsel. Here I was, I mean, how, what should I do with my children here? All I could say was, this is what the Word says. I had someone say to me recently, who does Bill Gothard think he is teaching about biblical principles for rearing children when he's never had one? I said, yeah, I know it. Jesus and Paul had that problem too. You don't have to have them. You just have to know, have the Holy Spirit teach you biblical principles because if it says it in the Word, it's right. And you learn biblical principles. You learn how to mature. And even if you're highly gifted and, uh, and uh, otherwise qualified, you're still, and not spiritually mature yet, you're still not qualified to be in leadership. Um, and they, no one should allow you to become a bishop. Now, he gives the answer here as to why. He said, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, that doesn't mean the devil's going to condemn him. What, how, was, how was Satan judged? What was his sin? Pride. And he was cast down out of heaven because of pride. And he said that if a man comes into leadership and he allows pride to get into his life, he can get thrown down in the same way. You see, God hates a proud look afar off. And it's very easy for young men. Now, let me tell you something. When people begin to flock around young men, it's very hard for them not to begin to believe their PR. And you've lived as long as I have, and you know how many mistakes you've made and how weak you are. It's pretty hard to think too highly of, of yourself. I know, I know there's times when you have to be very careful. But it's so easy when you're young. When I first went in that first church and I got up and sang and I led the choir and we saw our, our young people's choir go from about 20 up to 100 and uh, parents started coming out on Sunday nights. The church was jammed full and everything and everybody coming up and saying, oh, well. I had to back off and say, boy, do I need some help. Somebody pray for me around here because it's very, very hard not to listen to all that stuff and to come back and say, God, without you, nothing is possible. So he says, when you're talking about a bishop, one of the requirements is don't let some young whippersnapper get up there and take a lot of leadership because people begin to praise him and he can fall under the snare of the devil and get defeated and discouraged and uh, be judged even as Satan himself was judged. We've been talking about when the believer's books are audited and the judgment seat of Christ stating that every believer someday is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ not to determine their salvation but rather to determine their reward. It's not enough just to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's necessary to know Him as Lord and to become His servant, His bond slave. Commit your total life to Jesus Christ he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added unto you. And whosoever he be of you is not willing to forsake all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever he be of you is not willing to take up his cross daily and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Paul the Apostle said, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He's saying that I want to emulate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ out through my life. That's the purpose, that's the goal, should be the goal of every truly born-again Christian. It's not a, 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 an idea of coming and sitting in church and enduring an hour of preaching and teaching and music and going home and saying, I did my religious thing. This should be a time of rejoicing where we come together and rejoice together in what God's doing in our daily lives. This should be a time we come for instruction to go out and serve him better during the week. So there's a tremendous difference between just easy believism and total commitment of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been talking about because in that day, that's what we're going to be judged for. How we spend our life. Every idle deed, every idle word that's spoken. Now, I want to make that very clear to you that when we talk about becoming a Christian, we're not talking about everyone who says, yes, I believe in Jesus because Satan himself believes in Jesus. If we believe in Jesus Christ and have made him Lord of our life, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be manifest in our life. There should be joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, righteousness, all these things that, that should be manifest in our lives should be evidenced. Jesus said, he that says he loves me and does not keep my commandments, he's a liar, and the truth isn't in him. That person won't have to worry about the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be at the great white throne judgment in that day. So it's not enough just to say we love the Lord. We have to show that by evidence. James says, show me your faith by your works. Show me your faith by your works. Let me see it. I don't want to hear it. I want to see it in your daily life. So we've been talking about it. We talked about the, in, the, the rewards to the believers. The first one was the incorruptible crown, which is available to any believer who is faithful to the end. Any believer who loves his appearing and waits for him and serves him and just can't wait for the Lord to come back and is faithful serving the Lord until he does come back. Now you say, well, brother, I have failed so many times. It didn't say you don't fail. It's not an idea that we're perfect, that we're sinless. It's the idea that we every day are trying to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. When we miss it, we ask for forgiveness and we go on. We forget those things that are past and we press toward the mark. And those that are willing to do that till the end, the scripture says there'll be an incorruptible crown for them. Now we've been talking about the crown of glory. And that's for faithful ministers. And we've been talking about the qualifications of a minister here in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Last week we went through the 17 of the 18 different points that, that Paul brought out concerning a pastor. And I say again, it's not enough to just go and hear a preacher. The scripture says you should know them that labor among you, know them well. It's important for you to understand whether the one that you're sitting under is operating according to God's principles. If not, you can get into trouble as well as he's going to get into trouble sooner or later. And so this is, this is not an easy message to preach, let me tell you something. It's not easy for me to stand up here and tell you all the requirements are there because I see so many flaws in my own life, so many times that I fall short. But it's my desire, my goal to be like this speaks of here in, the, in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. We said last week that he's to be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the 18th one now is... A good report, that, and moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. Now, that good report means an excellent testimony in general, a generally good testimony out in the world. Now, let me assure you, that does not mean that everybody out there in the world is going to love him. 
There are going to be some people that are going to criticize him no matter what he does. But in most cases, they'll be ashamed if ever they, what they're saying about him is exposed because his life will be such that they cannot prove that he is doing wrong. Uh, a good report of them that are without. It's talking about a reputation of having a quality of character that cannot be impugned. They know that he's honest, even though they don't agree with him. They know he's honest. They know he's hardworking. They know he's sincere. They know he's not going to cheat them. And I'll tell you, the, I said last week, uh, the, the world is maybe a poor judge concerning uh, doctrine and motives and so forth, but they're very keen and very accurate when they judge character. I've had people that have come to me in the past and say, yeah, you know that preacher over there? Well, I, I know this and I know that and I know the other thing about him. And you know something? The world expects more out of many Christians than many Christians expect out of themselves. And they're going to watch you and they're going to watch me, but they're especially going to watch somebody that's in leadership. Now, we've had a lot of failures lately in leadership in the church. And it's one of the signs of the end times. The enemy has gotten into the camp and he's tearing everybody up as much as he possibly can. But the word of God says that he must have a good reputation without why? Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, lest he lose that reputation and begins to be reproached, begins to be talked about, begins to be exposed by those around him, uh, and both believers and unbelievers, both believers and unbelievers will begin to say, yeah, I know that preacher, but I know you know, we've had occasions where policemen have had to come and tell the church, did you know that your pastor is involved in this? Did you know your pastor did this? Did you know he was on the cellular phone the other day and we heard this? The church didn't know about it at all. Until finally he's so discouraged that he's caught in the snare of the devil. One of the greatest snares of the devil is, is discouragement. Remember me talking some time ago about the tool of the enemy is discouragement? Comes a place where they just give up. Just walk away. But the scripture says it's required that he have a good testimony. I like what one pastor said after this TV expose that was given not too long ago concerning three different television ministries. He said, if the church doesn't judge itself, the Lord will send the Babylonians in to do it for them. A lot of times the church does not judge itself, and then the Babylonians have to come in. And they have to judge it. And what an embarrassment that is to the church. Consequently, because of that, now more laws are being passed to try to correct the church's problems. Uh, one, uh, one televangelist I just read yesterday in the Christianity Today magazine uh, has to pay a million and a half dollars back to some donors who had sent money in and designated it for a certain thing, and he used it for his own luxurious lifestyle. It was something like uh, $30,000. That's not a bad return on your money. The court just told him he has to pay them back a million and a half dollars. That's not going to happen too many times, but what preachers are going to realize is that the IRS means business. You see, that's why I tell people, be very careful. We have to be very careful how we designate money in the church here. We can't, I can't designate, if I had a daughter in college or a son in college, I can't give money to the church and ask them to give it to my daughter and son in college and get a tax write-off. But there are some churches that are not careful as to how the money is used. If money is designated for a special use, it is illegal for that church to use it for any other purpose. And the world is going to judge it very, very quickly. Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. And that's why it's so essential when we talk about the crown of glory that we understand what's involved in it. I said, first of all, that a, a, a man of God is a faithful minister is, first of all, a man. He's not a superhuman person. He's just like you and I, fail, can fail just like anyone else. 
and uh, he's, he's, he's called of God, he's responsible, he's a family man, and I gave, gave the different characteristics of his uh, being strong as far as his family is concerned, and then I want to go on to the next step concerning, a, not only is he a man, but a faithful minister is one who preaches Jesus Christ. He doesn't have some little hobby horse, he preaches Jesus Christ. There may be other aspects of his ministry, but the core, the center, the thrust of the message is Jesus Christ. Now, we can get all these other things straightened out, but if we don't have Jesus Christ straightened out, nothing else is going to work. You remember of the, uh, the little boy that was trying to put a map of the world together, and he couldn't put it together, and he was working and working and getting very frustrated, and finally he came up all beaming, and he said, Look, Daddy, I did it. And he said, Well, that's wonderful, and you did it right. How'd you do it? He said, Well, I, I couldn't figure out how to put the world together, but when I turned it over, I saw on the back there was a picture of Jesus, and when I got Jesus all put together, the world came out all right. And we have to remember that that's going to happen in our daily walk, too, when we put Jesus Christ in his proper place. First Timothy, the fourth chapter. First Timothy, the fourth chapter. Verses 12 and 13. Let, Paul is talking now to Timothy, a young man, a young preacher. Here Paul is an older man. He's talking to Timothy, his spiritual son. And he said, uh, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, that word, give attendance to, in the Greek means put it first. Put it first. Put these things first in your life. What? Reading, exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, he gave four different things up there that he should go. First of all, the word. He said, excuse <coughs> me, verse 12, let no man just... Be, uh, in, he said, be an example of the believers in word. Now, that's talking about in the preaching or in sound doctrine. We're living in a day and age, believe it or not, and more and more Christian leaders are beginning to holler about it, that most churches want their preacher to tell them nice things, things that make them feel good. But when Paul the Apostle preached, if you'll read through the epistles of the New Testament, you'll find that in most cases he was correcting them he was rebuking them, he was exhorting them, he was commanding them, telling them what they must or must not do. Secondly, he said, in conversation. That's talking about, as a young man, let your total conduct come back that represents and matches what you preach. When he speaks of conversation, he's speaking about the total conduct. In charity, he's talking about agape, agape love. Have a, an unconditional love for those with whom you're ministering. These are the requirements of a pastor. And then the next thing is the Spirit. He's talking there about, I believe, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit operating in the life of one who's in the ministry. Now, if one just operates in the fruit of the Spirit, that's wonderful, but there's not much power as far as being able to set people free. If you operate just in the gifts of the Spirit, they're not going to have much consistency in your daily walk, where the fruit of the Spirit manifests the nature and character of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit talks about the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And he says that that must be manifest in your life also. And then when it talks about faith, he's talking about faithfulness. Faith means that we walk steadily, steadily along. We're not up and down in the Lord's Navy. We're in the Lord's Army. 
We go ahead. We go forward, not up and down. And he said that's another requirement for a pastor, that he be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then he said purity. Purity, that's a word that people don't like to talk about much today. And the reason for it is because we are bombarded with impurity. We're, in, we're being told that it's all, all these things are amoral. There's, it's neither moral nor immoral. I mean, it's just, there's no such thing as concrete. There's no such thing as absolutes. There are absolutely no absolutes. That's what we're told. You've got to believe me. There's just absolutely no absolutes, which is a contradiction of terms in itself. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We're talking about the fact that a preacher is to preach Jesus Christ. That's the center of his message. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 23. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture here because it all applies. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. See, if anybody hung on the tree, they were cursed. How could he be our king? I mean, he hung on the tree. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are, which are mighty. Now let me tell you something. That really makes a preacher feel big. If you're called of God, then he's found something either small or foolish, and that's what he's using. Not very many are mighty or called. But he takes that which has no potential whatsoever, and then he uses it for his glory. And it goes on and says, And base things of the world, and, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Remember when we talked about Jesus Christ being born of the Virgin Mary? Who did Jesus go to? He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to the king and tell them. He went out and told the lowly shepherds who didn't even have a good enough reputation to give a report in, in court. I mean, the lowest of the low and had them come in and witness this spectacular thing that happened. God takes the base, the most useless, the most worthless, worthless things as far as the world is concerned and then uses it for his own glory. Verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I wasn't that eloquent, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a powerful statement. That's all we need to know, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. If men can find that out, the rest of it can be straightened out after that. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then in, in the Greek, it almost implies that his, his knees were knocking when he came to try to present to them. Does that sound like a, a bold man of God? No, he was scared, to use a southern term. He was just plumb scared when he came to preach the gospel. But he came still with power. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Now let me tell you something. It's wonderful for us to study the scriptures. And it's wonderful for us, wonderful for us to dissect, bisect uh, all the every uh, jot and tittle in the Word of God. What's more powerful is that we walk in the power of God, walk in the power of the Spirit. It's nice to know the Word, and the more we know it, the more we understand it, the more we can counsel people. But don't let that become your goal. Let the real goal get to what Christ said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might glorify Jesus Christ. You can know all the word, but if you don't know him, it's of no value whatsoever. You must come into that intimate, personal walk and relationship with him. This is what Paul's talking about to the church. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says we have a special power, and if a man is called of God, he better understand that this is, this is what's going to win souls. This is what's going to change lives. The preaching of Jesus Christ, not with the wisdom of men, but with the power of God in his life. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Second Corinthians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. Paul the Apostle says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God command, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That the excellency of the dunamis may be of God and not of us. We can't do it. The Lord has to do it. The Living Bible says that this precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us is held in a perishable container. That is, in our weak bodies, everyone can see that the glorious power within uh, must be from God and not ourselves, not from ourselves. I'm telling you, some of the greatest men that I have known in the ministry down through the years have not been eloquent, well-educated men. They've been men who understood what it is to walk with Jesus Christ and have his power flow through their life. They don't have to say very much, but when they speak, there's a power and there's an authority there that uh, you can't argue with. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> Paul again speaking to Timothy, the young pastor. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears or telling them what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables or turned unto men's uh, ideas, misguided ideas. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. 
make full proof of thy ministry. A preacher who is called of God, who is a faithful minister, will preach Jesus Christ. And the next aspect, next point, the third point is, he is one who will serve Jesus Christ. Serve Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that's understandable. No, it's not really that easily understood. There are many pastors today who are serving people and not serving Jesus Christ. There are many pastors, like one man said, he will watch to see which way the crowd's going and then run up to the front and say, follow me. And he's not listening to what the Lord says as much as he is to what people say and what people want him to do. And that's the difference between someone who is called against someone who is hired. That's the difference between someone who is called of God and someone who is playing a political game in the church. I still remember when my father-in-law, many, many years ago, my former father-in-law, who's with the Lord now, was in a church, and every year they were on pins and needles trying to find out, I wonder if we're going to be here another year, because every year the congregation got together, and many of them were about as spiritual as a train wreck, got together, and they tried to decide, whether are we going to keep this preacher around for another year again? Let's either vote him in or vote him out. And I'd come away from that when talking to him, and I'd say, that is not of God. That's politics. He's hired, and they can fire him at any moment. I would like for anyone to go out on the farm with me and show me when the lambs and the sheep get together out in the pasture and say, I wonder if we should have this same shepherd this next year. You know, he didn't feed me what I wanted this past year. In fact, he made me stand over there next to where the water was a little bit rougher than what I like. I like to be right where the water is real quiet. I think we ought to look around and get ourselves another shepherd, don't you? I can't tell you how many times today I hear people say, we just fired another preacher. We've gotten rid of two of them in the last two years. Greatest thing in the world. We've got rid of, you know something? Those men have not been called. They've been hired. I'm sorry. You say, well, what if they're not good preachers? Well, if everybody left, who would they preach to? You know what the problem is today? They get into trouble. The district superintendent comes in and says, I've got another church for you over here. Go over there. He gets into trouble. I've got another church for you over here. And they never hit the wall. And, you know, sometimes people question me about this very subject. And I keep saying, you know, I really believe that God has put me here. And even in the darkest hours, I say, hey, God, if you've got another signal, you give it to me. But until you give me another signal, I'm here. I'll stay here. I'll just keep doing what you told me to do as best I know how to do it. And I know I don't do it very well a lot of times, but I'm going to do the very best I can. And you're going to have to do the rest. I mean, if you want to shut her down, you'll have to shut it down. But please let me know what you're doing. I just have to know what you're doing. I just want to be where you want me to be. And I tell people, if you don't get fed, don't stay. Go somewhere. If everybody leaves, then I'll have to quit. I'll just, I missed it. I missed it. I'll have to go back. But you see, it'd be very easy for me to call a district superintendent of some denomination and say, can you get me a church? I could go and, you realize in 22 years how many sermons I've got stacked up in my drawers I could preach? I could retire. All I have to do is pull out a sermon and preach the next Sunday. I mean, it'd be wonderful. Can't do that. I've got to be where God called me to be. A pastor is not paid, a pastor is supported. You see, now you're getting picky. No, I'm not. A pastor is not paid, a pastor is supported. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1.1, Romans 1.1, first chapter, first verse, Paul, a servant, doulos, bond slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, or one called out, separated under the gospel of God, 
He said, I'm not sold out to a denomination. I'm not sold out to a church. I'm sold out to Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my Savior. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with the seventh verse. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth should hope that, uh, in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of, by the, of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Verse 14 now. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, the... Uh, Living Bible says those who preach the gospel should be supported by those who accept it. Not hired, supported. Not hired, but supported. Big difference. You ever heard people say, I quit giving my tithe. I hold back my tithe from that church. I say, you're dumber than the stump. It isn't your tithe. You're robbing God. You're using that as a weapon against God's servant. God's going to judge you for it. And there's some people say, well, we hire a preacher. I, I actually, I have actually had people in the past say, well, we thought that when we had quit supporting the church, the church would go under. I said, the church is not going to go under. can't go under. It belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to you. If God can't, can't depend on you, he'll find someone else that will support him. And time and time again, down through the years of this ministry, God has sent somebody through here and they've said, here, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. I remember a Sunday, maybe Ed and Skipper remember a Sunday when a couple came here, walked back in our nursery and said, you know, you need carpeting in the, carpet, in, the, in the nursery. And we said, yeah, we know that. And they said, we want to take care of that. They came in, put down the carpeting in the nursery and the padding in the nursery. Never came back. Never, never came back to church again. Some ladies came and went upstairs, you need curtains in your Sunday school room up here. They went out, fixed the curtains, came back, put them all up, left, never came back. See? God has a way of doing it. He, he can do it any way he wants to do because it, it's supported by the Lord. And he says, but those that hear the, that receive preaching and receive the word ought to support those that are preaching the word. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be done, unto me, done so unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul the Apostle says, I couldn't quit preaching if I had to. I'm not preaching because I'm hired to preach. I'm preaching because I'm called of God to preach. And let me tell you something. I've said it time and time again. 
any genuinely man called to preach, I tell them to do anything else you, you want to do. If you can do anything else but preach, you do it. But if you've called, been called to preach, you can't do anything else. It'll be so heavy in your heart, you'll be absolutely miserable anywhere else. And anybody around you is going to be miserable anywhere else. Some of the greatest misfits I've ever seen are men who are called of God today that are out in sales or doing something else. They're total misfits because they missed the calling of God in their lives. <clears throat> Verse 17. For I, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free of all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Paul says, first of all, I don't want, any, I don't want to be obligated to anyone, only the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why many times when people come to me and say, you know, the Lord just laid my heart to give this to you, I say, wait a minute, the Lord told you to do this, yes, okay? If the Lord told you to do it, I'll receive it. And then later on, I had those, some of those same people, and this was many, many years ago, come back and say, you know, who's the ones that's been supporting you here? Who's the ones? Now, we'd like for you to do this. You ought to consider that because we've been supporting you. I said, whoa, stop right there. I want to go back and state again exactly what I asked you when you brought that gift to me. I asked you, why are you giving this to me? Well, the Lord told us to do it. I said, then don't hang anything else on it. If God told you to do it, don't try to use me because of it. I won't stand still for that. I'll do what God tells me to do in this situation and if you gave a million dollars into the ministry, I want you to know that it will not have one influence, bit of influence when the time comes that I have to do what God tells me to do. What did Peter say to Simon the sorcerer? He said, your money perish with you. I don't want your money. Paul says, I'm not going to get tied down to you guys. I've had people say, boy, it must be nice to be a preacher and, you know, get all that income and stuff. <laughs> Bless God. Wonder where they were when we were making fifteen dollars a week <laughs> for the first eighteen months, but then jumped up to fifty a week and then seventy-five a week, and the church did all they could. And I thank God for the faithfulness of this church. I thank God for the faithfulness of this church. But the church has always known they're supporting my ministry; they're not hiring me. I'll tell you, that's an awesome thing for me to understand too. That means I have to answer to God, not to you. I answer to God for the things that He calls me to do and asks me to do and shows me to do. 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. We're going to wrap this up if I get time. 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. We talked about this not too long ago, a week or two ago. It says, let the elders, verse 17, 1 Timothy 5:17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And I said that word is honorarium, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his, of his reward. Worthy of it, not his paycheck, not his salary, but worthy of his reward for serving the Lord. A good illustration of this was when I read of a missionary who was called of God and everybody told him he wasn't called of God, but he knew he was called of God to go to Alaska. And he went to Alaska, and he had to make a living. He was working every day, uh, making sleds up there, uh, repairing sleds, I mean, and uh, going out and getting meat and freezing meat and making meat available to other people. And then on the side, he'd at night go out and, and preach to other couples and teach them the, the Word of God, and they were starting to get saved. 
And after more and more people started getting saved, they wanted more of the Word of God. And he said, well, I'm doing all I can, but I've got to keep making the sled so I can make a living and be able to... And finally they came to him and said, wait a minute. We can make sleds. We can get firewood. We can go get meat for you. You just stay here and study the Word. We'll go out and we'll spend an hour extra a day and we'll bring that stuff back to you. We'll fix the sleds for you and so forth. We want to free you up. We need the Word of God. Anybody can make sleds, but not everybody can feed us the Word of God. And it wasn't long before that the people that got saved began to support this man so he didn't have to make his own living. And they supported the ministry that they knew he had, God had called him to. And he was able to go out and do what God told him to do. He was obedient to Christ. And he was not, he was not uh, hired by the members. They just simply said, we believe God's called you for this. And we want you to be free to do it. Here, you just stay here with the Word and study the Word and teach us of the Word of God. I received a note from my sweetheart just before we were married, and she said, the greatest gift you can ever give me is to stay in the Word and teach me the Word and teach, prayer, teach, teach me more about the Word of God so I can understand God's principles. You see, that's, that's what the, the calling of God is supposed to be, where with the disciples, when they thought they were so busy with the widows, they finally called and said, let's get some deacons together here. And boy, what a misconstruction of... of the beginning of that thing has taken place. I mean, deacons today hire and fire preachers, but back then they were servants. They were to go out and wait on tables. And the reason for that was so that we can give ourselves to the reading of the word, or studying of the Word of God and doctrine and prayer. And when we're led by the, the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be dictated by humans. You know, I just got thinking as I was sitting in Sunday school class this morning, I wonder if the deacon, board of deacons would have allowed Philip to go out in the desert in the middle of a revival in there in Samaria when he started that church. Brethren, you know, I, I really feel I need to leave this revival and go out in the middle of there. Brother, we've prayed about this and we just don't see this at all. Well, I, I really feel that, well, uh, you're going to have to just kind of settle down. Now, you know, you've been an evangelist long enough. Now you've got to be a pastor. You've got to settle down a little bit here, preacher. Man's got to be free to hear what God has to say to him. Uh, the Lord willing, I will... When we get back, I've got one other point that I'll bring out concerning faithful man and the crown of glory. I hope that you understand that I'm sharing these things with you because these were things I had to study for myself. When God called me into the ministry, I want to know, what am I getting into here? And I traveled from church to church to church all the time when I was in Bible college and then went out into evangelism and traveled from church to church, and I realized there's a lot of confusion concerning who's a preacher and who isn't a called man of God. I've actually had men say this when people came against them in the church. I had a pastor one time in a large church. People started giving him a hard time and he said to one of the, a group of the men one night, he said, I just want you to know something. I wouldn't even be in this church and I wouldn't even be a preacher today if my wife didn't feel called of God to be in the ministry. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Here's a man up there every Sunday trying to beat his head against the wall and do it. Because his wife was called in the ministry. There are a lot of preachers out there that you have to know the ones that are called. Now, how do you know? Find out what the requirements are of a pastor. If they're called of God, then don't go in and try to hire them or fire them. Go in and support them. Support that ministry. Believe in that ministry. Why? Because God brings men in, in under the ministry, up out of the ministry, into their own ministry. That's the way God does it. Paul gets a hold of Timothy. Timothy comes up. Out he goes. The deacons are appointed as deacons. All of a sudden they're evangelists. All of a sudden they're apostles. 
They came up through the ministry. Faithful men teaching faithful men who teach faithful men. That's the way it happens. It's not going off to Bible college all the time, but thank God they've got Bible colleges. But you have to be careful when you get there. Many are cold and a few are frozen. I've seen, I've seen young people go away to the seminaries and come away deader than a dead cold fish. One pastor I appreciated one time in a big church, he got a young man out of a seminary that I had attended. And he came to me and he said, you know, the young fellow, he's a great young fellow. He's spent four years at the seminary. It's going to take him about six years to get over it, but he'll, he'll be all right, I think. Now, what was he saying? The seminary was giving him a lot of stuff up here, but nothing down here. To where he was tearing the Word of God apart instead of letting the Word of God tear him apart. Now, I want to tell you something. If you want to be having an effective, any effect in your life, you let that tear you apart. Don't you tear it apart. It's right. You're wrong. In every instance. The other thing I'm going to be talking about is a man of God is prayed for by other people. If God's called a man into the ministry, he needs prayer support. Paul was always saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And that's what can make the difference between a ministry succeeding and not succeeding too, upholding them in prayer. Father, I thank you that the calling of God is without repentance. I thank you for every person that's here this morning. I pray that you'll enlighten their hearts and minds to realize the relationship that there should be in the life of a pastor and his flock. That they'll realize how much they're needed in the body. Not to be following, but to finding opportunities to serve and support and strengthen the ministry. And to reach out and, con- and, and draw others into the gospel and lead them to Christ and then help them to grow and to discipleize them and, and to become effective that way, Lord, and have an impact on the community. Father, we're just committing this whole body to you, and in the name of Jesus, we ask you to let the Spirit of God raise up more and more leaders in the days ahead. Raise up leadership that will honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, as Paul prayed, that there be no divisions. In the name of Jesus, there be no divisions, but we love one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another, and there be fruit in our lives. Father, I pray for everyone that's here this morning that if nothing else is received this morning, they realize that you want to have a personal, intimate relationship with them where they spend time in prayer before you, that they allow the Spirit of God to search their heart and see if there be any wicked way in them. And as they do this, Lord, that every day they recommit their lives to you and say, Lord, use me. Use me. I don't want to just be. I want to be used. I want to be fruitful. I want to be productive for the kingdom of God. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, you'll give them a burden for lost souls. When we preach the word, the only reason we can preach the word is because we have a burden. And I pray that burden will grow greater and greater in each of our hearts to reach out for the unsaved and bring them in. Father, we commit this time to you and this message to you, and I pray that there will not be one that will go away today, but what they'll understand that God does call men into the ministry. And he calls those that would follow and support and encourage that ministry that others might be one to Jesus Christ. We commit this time to you and these truths to you in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We'll look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 o'clock. You are dismissed.